Welcome to the Horizon Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our mission as a church is to win people to Jesus Christ, disciple people in Jesus Christ, and send people for Jesus Christ. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. We hope this episode encourages you in your walk with Jesus as you continue to grow in His love and truth. Now, let's join Pastor Bob as we study God's Word together. Is this amazing, you guys? Can you just give it up for our crew? I'm so proud of our team. Brings back some memories for me. I think I actually met my wife in a diner. Yeah, the clubhouse at Forced Home was the camp diner. And she stepped up to the counter to order some monstrous hot fudge sundae and the rest the rest is history. So um, we wanted you to get a little uh, sneak glimpse as to what's going on with our VBS this summer, what's going on with our children's ministry, and we've been meeting outside. It's been awesome, but here's what's happening inside. The sanctuary has been transformed into a hot little 50s diner, and um, the theme is the heist. So proud of Steve and Kelly and Leah and Aaron, come on, just give it up again for our awesome, awesome children's ministry. Um, We've been talking about the Holy Spirit uh, the last several weeks outside, certainly kicking off our festival seating, picnic-style church experience on the backfield. We've been in Acts chapter 2, but when you talk about the Holy Spirit, Certainly one passage that always pops, that should always come to mind, is in Zechariah chapter 4. So grab your Bible with me if you would. Grab your um, iPad or your phone with a Bible app on it. You know, whatever it takes, I would love for you to find with me uh, this amazing passage that I just want to encourage your heart with, where the Holy Spirit, the work of God is concerned Uh, in our lives, uh, and it's a very, very familiar verse and passage, but maybe not so much the actual context of hear what is going on and how God shows up uh, in a powerful and miraculous way. And we're living at a time right now, we're in a season of life right now, where we together, uh, in a very like fashion, are desiring to see our God show up in a mighty way. Amen? Someone say amen to that. In fact, so much that's happening in our world and so much of the turmoil and difficulty, you could trace a lot of that in similarity back to where God finds uh, a challenge set before his people. And it's really up to the people whether or not in the midst of that challenge they're going to look to God uh, or they're going to turn on God. And I've been just kind of reading some absolutely amazing things some very, very insightful things, and uh, certainly none of them more insightful uh, and encouraging than the time that we've spent over there in Acts chapter 2, that the whole idea that this, this gift of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, this promise that Jesus would give to us, that the Spirit that has been with us is now going to be in us. Like wherever you go and whatever you're doing, whatever, what, whatever you're up to, the Holy Spirit is in you, not just with you, but in you and uh, to accomplish greater things than we could ever imagine, possibly ever dream of, the Bible says. Think up or, 
or uh, conceive of, God wants to do immeasurably, not like a little bit drip, drip IV, but immeasurably, like bucket, Grand Canyon type sized blessings if we would just surrender and allow his will to be done in our lives. But what can you say about the book of Acts? I mean, it is really the work of the Holy Spirit there literally in living color. It is in action. And the book of Acts is that book in the Bible that really has no conclusion. It's still being written. It's being written through Aaron Tividar in Club 56, and it's being written through Scott and Christy McGuire at Horizon Prep, and it's being written through Josh Dyer in our youth ministry, and it's being written through Children's and VBS, and in a diner of all places this summer, uh, God is going to be up to some great activity in our hearts and in our lives, and certainly in that of our kids. You know, we've always prayed at Horizon that a little child shall lead them. That's why we have a school. That's why we started with the preschool so many decades ago that now Michelle Chapman is going to take to a whole new level built on the foundation that Kathy Towner has faithfully laid. It's that little kids would end up being a catalyst to bring their families to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's gone into the construction of this set. That's why all this work ultimately is, is a work that pays great dividends and eternal rewards. It is the activity of God in our midst. And so I just want to pray that the Lord would be about his business and activity even now as we open his word. Would you pray with me, Lord, as we just get a glimpse of what you have planned uh, for our kids to meet them in this space, in this diner, in in a real and tangible and powerful and life-changing way, albeit virally over the internet, nothing Lord, holds you back. Uh, You are not shaped or constrained by time or space. You are on the throne. You are sovereign. You are in control. And And we give you this moment now and pray that you would speak into our lives. And Holy Spirit, that you would have your way. Uh, corporately through this ministry, these 30 acres, our church and our school, the outreach into this community and beyond. But individually, Lord, we come before you with our own needs, personally, with our own concerns, and pray there would be a diner breakthrough, that there would be a heist, that there would be a total transformation, a takeover of your Holy Spirit being Lord and sovereign King over all of our activities, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen? I mean, what can you say about Acts 2? You've got all these different races and backgrounds, and what unifies them together is the work of the Holy Spirit. We saw Italians are there, and Asians are there, and the Mexicans are there because it says every nation of the world is represented. Although they don't get a shout-out, this has to be the greatest church potluck ever. Come on, someone shout amen. you got the chow mein going on, and you got the pasta going on, and you got the tamales going on, and everyone is gathered together. They're breaking bread. They're in fellowship. They're in one accord, and it's amazing. It is absolutely incredible what's going on, and I can assure you of this. That's the party that Satan wants to break in and spoil. That's the party the kingdom glory and celebration of the family of God that Satan is out to divide. Um, stakes are high right now. And we're seeing it all across the planet and certainly on the streets of our own 
country and nation and you wonder what they're really crying out for, I'm not sure they really know. Defunding police. Or tolerance, for that matter. Have you ever actually thought about the word tolerance? Like, let's say we'll just go back in time to when Bonnie and I met in that diner. And let's say at, at the clubhouse at Forest Home, we were both on staff, and we end up going out. We just like in the diner, and we're having this big time of a chocolate sundae and everything. And then the next day, the next day at camp, something's going on, and, and, and she's the lifeguard, so she's over, you know, and, 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 and some people come up to me and go, oh, we, we saw you guys in the diner last night. You guys seem to have eyes for each other. Is there, like, maybe a spark here? Is there an interest there? Did you have a nice time? If I was to say in the midst of that question an answer like this, it was tolerable. How would my... Now wife, mother of my children, how would she have, yeah, it was tolerable. Listen, no one ever should be able to convince you that you're going to settle for tolerance. It was tolerable. I tolerated it. The Lord has so much more, and the devil knows it, and he's out to rip us off. It's crazy how our message can be so easily mocked even though it's not properly or completely understood. There's a disconnect. There's clearly a disconnect. I think it was Huxley years ago in a college class. I remember a professor teaching us that Huxley said that if we, if we don't have boundaries, like this is like pre-internet, kids. This is like pre-World Wide Web or anything like that. Huxley said, if we don't put boundaries on our knowledge, and now there is more like knowledge available at your Googling fingertips than ever before, but listen to Huxley. He said, knowledge without boundaries will easily become our deadly friend. It'll kill us. It'll, it'll destroy us. Someone recently said, forget about Jericho. We are now blowing the trumpets to bring down our own cities. It's not so much the opponent or the enemy that we rage against, but now we rage from within. Man has chosen in these days to abolish himself, Malcolm Muggridge said, who had an impact like no other impact and influence in the life of Ravi Zacharias. He said, and I quote, man has chosen to abolish himself and is dropping to its knees, facing its own extinction. Culture is looking not to God in these days, but to themselves, and that will be our own demise. That's, that's secularization. Secularization is the process when the religious founding ideas upon which our nation was instituted as it began have, have, have lost their significance, an eviction of the truth, a truth that's being trampled down in the streets and in the public square. I read um, amazing, and, and I won't read the whole thing, but there's an English poet, I believe out of Oxford, named Stephen Turner, fascinating and uh, has a very insightful mind, uh, wrote an article recently called The Creed. 
And it's not the creed of our faith as in the Nicene Creed or the Westminster Confession. It would be the creed of carnality, be the creed of all that has become popular on the streets today in the shouting name of tolerance. And he says this, here's some highlights. Most of what is taught now in every public classroom up into university and grad school has everything to do with Marx and Freud and Darwin and nothing to do with God or the Bible, that everything now is permissible and okay, that we will do as a nation, as a world, as a society, as a creed, we will do our best not to hurt anyone, at least to the best of our definition of what hurt means. Or a society that believes in the justified escapism of the therapy of sin. What a thought, what a line. The justified escapism of the therapy of sin. Nothing is taboo. You're more in trouble in this society, not by what you do, but by calling someone out for doing it. They believe on the streets that everything is getting better despite evidence of the contrary. They believe in a truth that can be altered and statistics that can be shifty. They believe that Jesus was morally good, but some of his morals were bad. They're inspired by his love, but they differ with him on creation, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. <laughs> they believe all religions are the same, at least the ones that they've read and what they know of them. That man is basically good, it's only his behaviors that let him down. That society is the fault of conditions, and conditions are the fault of society. Just find a truth that's right for you, and reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will adjust, history will alter. No absolute truth except the absolute truth that there is no absolute truth. And if chance is the father of all flesh, then disaster is his rainbow in the sky. So when you hear that we're in a state of emergency, snipers on the roof and youth looting in the streets, bombs going off and tear gas with rioting everywhere, know this, it is simply the sounds of man Worshiping his maker. Wow. It is simply the sounds of man worshiping his maker. Self-made. And the end thereof, according to scripture, is death. It's destruction. And we're seeing it filmed and recorded in HD living color. So what do we do? Turn to God's word. In Zechariah chapter 4, this so amazed me that the people of God have been literally taken hostage. And Zerubbabel is given the invite to go back to Jerusalem and begin preparing the temple and the city for the return of God's people. And that's a daunting task, like building 
a diner in a sanctuary. I mean, it is like beyond description, the task that was assigned to Zerubbabel, and how in the world is he going to go about it? And in chapter 4, let me just set the stage for you, and we'll just look at a few things together. Um, the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me. This is verse 1, Zechariah chapter 4. The angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man is wakened out of his sleep. So whatever he thought he was dreaming about now is coming true. And he said to me, verse 2, what do you see? And I said, well, I'm looking, and there's a lampstand of solid gold and a bowl that's on top of it. And, 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 and on the stand, seven lamps and seven pipes to the seven lamps, and, and two olive trees are by it, and one at the right of the bowl and the, the other at its left. What's going on? What am, I, what am I seeing? Someone pinch me. Give me a splash of cold water, a slap across the face. Have I woken up in Narnia? What am I seeing? What's, what's going on? I answered and spoke to the angel and I, and who talked with me, and I, I said, what is this all about? What are these, my Lord? And the angel who talked with me answered and said, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord, I do not have a clue. So he answered and he said, here we go, overwhelming, daunting, out of control, feeling of how do I even begin the project that I'm being asked to do. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you? Oh, great mountain. So whatever the obstacle looks like in your life, it might be health, it might be finances, it might, you might be at a place of feeling like you've been thrown into the deep end of the pool with no time to prepare and you're sinking, you're going down, you're like, Bob, it's all the above. And how amazing the verse that we all know so well, the verse that says, not by might, Zerubbabel, and not by power, Zerubbabel, it's not going to be you and your abilities that are going to pull this off, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And then whatever that obstacle is, in the name of of Almighty God who is with us and for us, the same power and spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, is a spirit and a power that says to the obstacle, who in the stinking heck are you? Who are you, O great mountain? Who are you, great obstacle? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. I'm going to level it. I'm going to level it. I love that. I don't know about you. I'm like, yay, God. Get about it. Level it, Lord. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Okay, just pause right there for a second. I know and I love right along with you that amazing verse that we so oftentimes will Kind of pull off the page and quote, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by your spirit, it's by your spirit, it's by your spirit. And then we stop. 
instead of taking now that arsenal to which God has equipped us with and speaking to that mountain, saying to that mountain, who are you? Because with a little mustard seed of faith, you're able to say to that mountain what? What are you able to say? Be cast into the sea. But sometimes we'll often stop. We'll stop too soon. And we'll miss out on the privileged front row seat of seeing the Lord then take that obstacle and take that mountain and level it to make it a plane. Look at this. And he shall bring forth the capstone. Now, I don't want to get into a whole lot of Hebrew background for you, only to say this. Suffice it to say, that word's used one time in Scripture. You just found where? One time. Capstone in all of Scripture right there. Now, it means head, it means top, it means tip, it means chief, it means best. And it's a root word, head, is used almost 600 times in Scripture. It's actually used all the way back in the prophecy that is given of the gospel in Genesis. Genesis. When in speaking to the serpent that's being cursed and how his head, there's our word, its cap, its tip, it's going to be crushed. Its chief aim, its, its, its move will be destroyed, right? But he will bruise your heel. It starts there, and throughout Scripture, 600 times, the root word of this word is used. But when it comes to capstone, what's the capstone? Well, you have the cornerstone, awesome, He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. He is it, but he's also the capstone. From the base to the top, he is all. And before anything is even built in this daunting, overwhelming task that Zerubbabel has before him, there is this unbelievable promise and message for him to claim in faith what hasn't happened yet but what God is declaring will be so take that capstone you haven't even built the thing out yet man yeah take that stone take that piece that ultimately will be the shining icing cherry on the top you take that even before we've begun to dig and build, knowing that he's the foundation and the cornerstone, but he's also the crowning glory of the capstone. You take that capstone, man. You take it and you speak to it. You don't just speak to it. You shout, grace, grace to it. Speak to the rock. Speak to the capstone. Speak in faith to the existence of what God has promised to complete and finish in your life. Isn't that Philippians chapter 1? Isn't that Philippians 1 verse 6? That he is faithful, right, Willie? Can't you hear Terry and Nancy Clark? Like right about now, they're just breaking out in song. He who began a good work in me will be what? Claim it in faith. Take the capstone and speak grace to it. Speak grace, grace. Speak to the rock. Don't smite the rock. Who smote the rock? Moses didn't get to go in the promised land. Just speak to the rock, Moses. Just speak to it and watch what I will do. 
Speak to the capstone. Speak to it. Shout to it. Shout to it not once. Repeatedly shout, grace, grace. Moreover, look at verse 8. The word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Thanks be to God who doesn't abandon us halfway through the project. That actually is what comes of the church of Galatia when Paul writes and says, having begun in the spirit, this spirit, this power, this almighty enduing of what God can do in your life, not by your might, not by your strength, not by your, but by my spirit. Having begun in the spirit, O church of Galatia, are you now going to complete yourself? You're going to complete the project in the flesh? May it never be, Paul says. So having begun, you laid the foundation, Zerubbabel. There was a good start, but everyone has a good start. I have yet to do a lousy wedding. They all start awesome. How's it going to finish? And here the Lord would proclaim into Zerubbabel's life that it will be done. His hands shall also finish it. I love that. I think we need to declare that together as a church, as a body, as a community, as a staff, as a team, as a desire of his disciples to determine to see the project completed to his glory, to see it finished, to declare it accomplished, to commit it to be done, even when we know it's far, (laughs) far. Zerubbabel knows better than anyone, far from being completed. God is faithful. And he will see it through. His hands shall also finish it. Started, let's end well. Better at 70 is the famous little tattoo seems to be going around the millennial generation. They want to finish well, and I applaud them for their desire. The Lord of hosts He's going to do it. You've laid the foundation, but you're, you're going to finish it, and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? Don't despise those days of small things. No great things are going to come from even a mustard seed, little teeny morsel of faith. Claim it. Declare it, believe it. If you don't believe it, don't expect it because it won't happen. You're double-minded. According to James, nothing's going to be seen or accomplished. But if you have the faith to believe, then don't despise the day of small beginnings, of small things. For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. Wasn't that a picture of the dove being released out of the ark? That dove that represents peace, that dove that represents the spirit, and it was looking, 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 looking for a place to land. Has it found a place in you to land? Has it found a place in you to rest? Has it found a place in you to call home? Look at this. The eyes of the Lord scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
So I answered and I said, what are these two olive trees at the right of the lampstand and at its left? And I further answered and said, and what are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two golden pipes from which the golden oil drains? And he answered and he said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, clueless, don't even suspect a clue, have no idea. And he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. Bob, what in the world? Who is that? I have no idea. But maybe, maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. Maybe in each and every generation, it's the sons and daughters of oil. The sons and daughters of the Most High that are not operating in their own might, that aren't operating in their own strength, but that are allowing the Holy Spirit to flow through them like the oil is flowing through those receptacles in verse 12 down the golden pipes, into the drains, to the glory of God, the sons and the daughters that are filled with the gladness of the Lord, the anointing of the oil that represents his Holy Spirit. That is all ours, you guys, because of one word that Zerubbabel is called upon to shout out twice, grace, grace, In fact, I think he says it twice because of the double portion that the Lord wants to fill us with. Not just in Acts chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 29. Today's activity of a church desiring to see the Lord take us to new levels. And I just want to speak to that for a second, that God levels by his grace and puts a lid on the work that we're about when it's all being done to the glory of his name. He levels the obstacles that are in front of us and he puts a lid on it, a seal, a guarantee of protection which is called grace. You know, there's various kinds of grace. You would not want to limit God based on... uh, soul understanding of of grace rather than a, 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 a multitude of an understanding of grace. So let me just, let me give you four of how the Lord levels and puts a lid on all that we're about so that ultimately it would be his spirit that is shining gloriously through our endeavors to build diners for his glory that kids would come to worship before his throne. There's a loving grace that levels and puts a lid on it, a loving grace that we find in Ephesians chapter 2, that by grace are you saved through faith. What greater love has ever been bestowed upon us but the saving grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a grace that first and foremost reflects his heart of love that he saves us not because we deserve to be saved. He saves us not because we've earned it. This isn't a do, do, do. This is a done, done, done because of his loving grace. His grace of love. Secondly, it's a liberating grace. Let me show it to you. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 gives us another dimension like a diamond that you might sort of like be... by 
by turning it, you see different colors and different perspectives. And if you just turn grace a little bit, it's not only a, a, a grace that saves because of the loving grace of Almighty God, but it's a, it's a liberating grace according to Romans chapter 3. Look what it says here. In verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You with me? Romans 3.23. Next verse. Being justified freely by his grace. All of sin, bad news. We're sunk. Good news, being justified freely by his grace. It's not only a grace that loves us. Check it out. It liberates us. Being justified freely. You've been set free by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Hallelujah, you have a grace because God loves you, so he saved you by his grace, a loving grace and a liberating grace that now sets you in a camp with a sign over it that says justified. Just as if I'd never sinned is the liberating grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thirdly, turn to Titus. I mentioned Titus the other day because those Cretans showed up in Acts chapter 2 and had an absolute transformation from their previous reputation that I thought maybe we could turn to Titus. And I just want to show you a verse where grace is again mentioned as a prism or a dimension that maybe sometimes escapes people from being able to see how multifaceted, how multidimensional grace is. In Titus chapter 2, something else is told to us about grace, not just loving, not just liberating. Look at verse 11, Titus 2 verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, the present rioting, out of control age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every law, every lawless deed, and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. Speak these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you. Did you see a component of grace there? That it not only is the love that saves us that flows from the heart of God, it is not only a grace that liberates, but what did it say? This grace that brings salvation is also a grace that, verse 12, teaches us. Teaches us. That he loved us 
Even as we were in our state of sinful selfishness, he loved us by his saving grace and loved us too much to leave us there. It's a heist. It's a diner heist where now his grace becomes, yeah, loving, yeah, liberating, and learning. Learning how to now live. Learning now how to go forward. Learning now how to respond. Learning now. It's all connected. That it's his grace that allows us to deny the ungodliness and worldly lusts. Hey, you'll never, I'll never conquer that in my own strength. Bob, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, a spirit that loves, a spirit that liberates, a spirit that helps us by grace to learn how to no longer be connected with living for ungodly things that our Lord sees wrong. He sees them as being wrong. He sees them as being damaging to us. He's not out to, to, to steal you from having fun. He's out to protect you. When that bar comes down on that craziest triple diamond roller coaster ride at Magic Mountain, that bar is not in any way meant to hold you back. It's meant to hold you in. And his grace is a grace that helps us learn how to say no to the things that want to destroy us. To flip our car 12 times end over end in some reckless, crazy abandonment of how God has called us to live and it's his grace that's continuing to teach us and learn us the ways that please him the most. Lastly, the last one is probably the one that you also know the most. The first one, that we're saved by grace. It's a loving grace that flows from the heart of God, a liberating grace, a learning grace. And do you remember that time in Paul's life where that thorn in his side is just beyond his ability to cope with any longer and cries out, take this away from me. Remove this from me. Take it away, God. And God says, um, not going to take it away, Paul. Because my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. You know that passage where it says that we together as his family, as his sons and as his daughters, are welcome and invited to approach Boldly, his throne of grace. Why? Because his grace is a lifting grace. And as much as Paul felt as if that thorn in his side was holding him down, the Lord was saying to him, my grace is sufficient, Paul. It will lift you through this. That's exactly what happens to Peter in the midst of accomplishing the miraculous. It wasn't his sin that caused him to begin to sink. It was his focus. But the moment he got his focus back on the Lord and cried out, he experienced a loving grace. Yeah, a liberating grace 
from the terror of the size of those waves and the wind and the storm. A learning grace, a learning grace. Oh yeah, I better not look, a lo- a look, look aside or look away any longer. It's just fixed on Jesus, a learning. But also a lifting grace that the Lord would lift him and together, together, side by side, arm in arm, they would miraculously walk back and climb inside that vessel with the other disciples. The Lord's not done until he's done, you guys. And he promises to us, as he does to Zerubbabel, that he will finish the work that he's begun. He's faithful to do it. And he wants us to trust him with it. Trust him to the point where we're not leaning on our own understanding, but we're trusting in him with all our heart. Acknowledging him with every step. And seeing the faithfulness of our God to not only be our cornerstone, our foundation, but the capstone, cherry on top of the cake. I read a beautiful, encouraging blessing from a Benedictine nun by the name of Sister Ruth. And it reminded me a little bit of a talk that I gave that dealt with discontentment that we need a productive discontentment, especially when she said this, and I'll close and we'll pray, but listen to her words. I think they're divine. I think they're inspired. She says, may God bless you with a discontentment towards the easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you will live from deep, within your heart. May God bless you with anger. An anger at injustice and oppression and abuse and the exploitation of people so that you will work for justice and strive for equality and share ultimately with the lost and drowning world what it feels like to experience his peace. May God bless you with tears Tears to shed for those who suffer from pain and rejection and starvation and war so that you'll reach out with comfort and help change their pain into joy for everlasting. May God bless you with foolishness, discontent. Ever prayed? Anger, tears. And foolishness. May God bless you with the foolishness to think that you can make a difference in this world so that you will do the things which others say could never be done. That's got to be what God saw in the heart of old Zerubbabel a foolishness to believe that with God's help, as daunting and overwhelming as it seemed from time to time, he believed what others thought could never be done. And if you have the courage to accept these prayers as your blessings, then God will also in turn bless you. He'll bless you with happiness because you will know that you have made life better for others. And he'll bless you with inner peace because you have worked to secure the outer peace as well as the inner, for those in whom you've come in contact. He'll bless you with laughter because your heart will be light as you've cast your burdens on him. And he'll bless you with faithful friends 
because you've recognized your worth as a person and the contribution through which God desires to make through you. These blessings are yours, not for the asking. These blessings are yours for the giving. From one who wants to be your companion, your Lord, your strength, and your life through his spirit forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, would you fill us with that grace today? Would you fill us, Lord, with a loving, liberating, learning, lifting grace that allows for us to believe, I mean truly believe, that the work that you have begun in us is a work that you're going to be faithful to complete and perfect unto the day of Christ Jesus. We thank you for that promise that you are with us, you are for us, you'll never leave us or forsake us. And so bless us, Lord, as we trust and believe in you. For with man, it seems to be impossible. But with God, possible are all things and everything that we're willing to commit and trust to his care and in his name, the mighty strong name of Jesus, we devote ourselves in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining the Horizon Church Podcast with Pastor Bob. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel. And if this message has blessed you, please share it either directly or on social media. If you live in the San Diego area, we'd love to have you join us at a weekend service. Or to catch our live stream, visit horizon.org live every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to learn more or partner with us, simply go to horizon.org. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next time.